Welcome to the Tier One Podcast, bringing you interviews with the brightest minds in the shooting industry. Get unique insights to help you shoot better, survive longer, and outperform your competition. Brought to you by Tier One, the world's best shooting accessories. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of the Tier One Podcast. Today we are very lucky to have Rex Tibor giving us an hour of his time uh, in a really cool in-depth interview covering how to master the art of long-range uh, riflemanship, uh, long-range shooting. We cover quite a lot of topics in this interview, so stay through to the end because uh, it really is packed with, uh, with interesting info. Uh, we go over topics like um, how Rex got started, um, how he develops a feel for the rifle and how you could potentially do the same. Um, does practice on the range help or possibly actually hinder your development as a shooter? Who makes a good shooter? Is it natural or is it, is it trained? Uh, he talks about the Y chromosome factor, which is an interesting uh, uh, thing <laughs> I think we've all suffered from at some point. Um, and then we dive into some more in-depth technical analysis of the science of shooting and the science of ballistics, um, which Rex has a huge wealth of knowledge on. And so uh, there's some, some really great information there. Certainly things you could apply to your own shooting. Um, and we finish up with uh, some, some discussion around uh, learning uh, from old uh, artillery manuals and uh, how much forgotten ballistic knowledge there is out there if you just go searching for it. Um, Rex runs a series of uh, courses in the US. If you want to check those out, I highly recommend you do. Have a look at rexdefense.com. You can also find him on his YouTube channel, Tiborosaurus Rex. Just go to YouTube and search for Rex Reviews and you'll find him that way. Uh, he's got an Instagram as well. He's very active on all of those platforms. Um, we want to thank Rex for, for taking the time out to do this interview. Really appreciate it. He's a great guy. He's got some incredible knowledge. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate him sharing it. So um, that's it for me. Thanks for joining and uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy the interview with Rex Tibor. Well, well, thanks for having me on the show. It's cool to visit with you again. I always like visiting with you guys and uh, also got some pretty slick uh, equipment there. I, I've been trying the Tier 1 uh, bipods, Tier 1 USA bipods for a while. Fantastic. And uh, they're, they're pretty, they're built real nice. So uh, we're still running those through the courses and stuff like that. But right. uh, yeah, my, I mean, my shooting history goes goes way back as far as I can remember. I probably um, was shooting rifles before I was riding bicycles. I think I was four when I started with centerfire rifles. Right. And so um, it goes it goes way way back. My father, the culture where I'm from up here. I'm I'm from uh, the northern central United States in a state called North Dakota, is bordering Canada, mm-hmm. kind of right in the middle of the border there. And it's very cold up here, but it's very kind of old school Western Rough Rider country. They call it where Teddy Roosevelt spent a lot of his time. And so culturally, okay. it's kind of like the old West. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so my father had us, uh, uh, you know, when we were little kids going fishing down on the beach. And if the fish weren't biting, we would run and shoot sticks out of the mud with 45 revolvers and, uh, you know, shoot, shoot at the river bank or whatever it was. And uh, so just kind of grew, grew up in it. Uh, uh, my whole life, I guess. So it was it, it was an organic experience for me. It was something that I didn't real, realize mm. was uh, um, wasn't like all of the world until later. And um, when I did some traveling and stuff, I and uh, got around a little more, and I, I discerned that there was actually a market for it. And so here I am. Now we're doing training, and we're doing 
uh, reviews of long-range equipment. And uh, up here where I'm from, too, North Dakota, everything is very, very far away because it's quite flat and desolate. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to shoot something, in the case of hunting, we did a lot of varmint hunting growing up as little kids and teenagers and middle schoolers and all that, Um, you know, shooting at uh, various kind of, um, you know, varmints and, and also like large game deer. But uh, I mean, it was not uncommon for stuff to be, you know, several hundred yards away to start with. Sure. And so it's just something that a guy kind of grew up doing, um, like anything else. But yeah, I mean, so when I started the YouTube channel, I was going to university at that time after I had uh, been doing other lines of work for a few years. And uh, when I got back home, I went to university and um, I, I wanted to share some of my music videos because I'm a okay. musician as well. I grew up in a family of musicians. Sure. And so I thought I'd share that and some other studies. I'm into history and and uh, culture and just all kinds of interesting stuff. And so um, I, I forget who it was, a brother or a cousin or somebody said, hey, man, you should put some of this stuff on YouTube. You know, you're yeah. pretty creative. And so I put that on there and that's where it started. And I was going with that, and you know, it's a, a little tiny channel, you know, you know, maybe a few subscribers here and there. And, how, um, how and then I posted that? a video. Oh man, I, I think that was probably the first computer I owned was actually oh nine, I think, like uh, two thousand nine. Right. I I evaded the computer and the cell phone as long as humanly possible. <laughs> it <laughs> I, gets I'm you not in. Tech- yeah, it's like George Orwell's 1984 chasing right. you down. You know, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm just going to live up in the mountains. How about that? Great. But yeah. uh, when you get into the real world and you get an education, especially, you have to sign up for your classes online. So sure. I ended up getting my first laptop, and, and then uh, I think it was 2009. And then I, I think I I posted my first shooting video. I don't remember when it was. And I found that, wow, that's very, very popular. Yeah. And then I started doing some of the long-range stuff. Yeah. And like with my 338 Lapua Magnums and stuff like that, and guys went nuts. Yeah. And um, I found myself answering so many questions, you know, online just by typing in the commentaries or uh, what do they call that, private message, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> it, it, it was like uh, I could have wrote like six books by now with all those questions. So I thought, man, it would just be easiest. And I actually had some formal requests to do some formal online instruction okay. from folks that wanted to understand the procedure. And so I, I, I thought, well, I'll do a tutorial series. And so I did um, what I originally called the long range precision rifle shooting tutorial or something like that. Right. Uh, the title was so long, I ended up uh, making it a little shorter. I just called it sniper one one, which kind of gets the point across. Right. And uh, so we put those up there and I ended up being 101 videos. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, we covered a lot of stuff. There's still so much more to cover. Mm. Um, but uh, that turned out to be quite quite a series. That is a very in-depth series, yeah. I mean, I um, uh, started plowing through that in preparation for the call, um, and I mean, I don't know if there is anyone out there who's put that much detail or, or that much content out there for free uh, as you have. So I think yeah, that's... not for free. There's a lot of really, really. Uh good sources of information out there i mean everything i learned i learned from other people sure uh, most of it you know and, and a lot of it by stumbling over my own shoelaces of course too sure. but um yeah in, in terms of uh for free the, the project was a hobby to begin with yeah. and then it became kind of a public service <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then it became a business later sure and the business part of it i never intended to go into business with it until i got cornered by one of my friends in the industry um, who does training commercially. And he says, why are you not training for money? Sure. You know, on, you know, with commercial training. 
and because I've done other things, but uh, he and I thought, well, I never thought of that. And so he explained how it works, and we stuck our foot in the water, and it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. Um, the, yes, sir. The, uh, just going back, you, you mentioned you went to university, and I, I was reading in your bio that you said that it was around that time that you were introduced to the scientific method, and that is... Uh, that underpins kind of all of your approach now to shooting uh, and to, you know, to long range shooting and, and improving uh, people's long range shooting. Is that, is that still the case? And can you sort of tell us a bit about Absolutely. how you use that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was more formally instructed in the scientific method when I did go to u- university. I'm uh, educated in uh, the classical sciences. I got three different degrees in science, wow. but, um, and I worked as an engineer in various fields right. um, after that. And, uh, and actually before that as well, I worked for a university when I was actually in grade school. My mother worked at the university and I worked as a tech helping the doctors carry out their experiments and stuff like that. And right. so that was pretty interesting. Uh-huh. Yep. And my father was always uh he was a very, very good teacher, and I was always very inquisitive, and he always did a very good job explaining to me, like, okay, here's the procedure, here's the logical way of looking at something, here's the process of elimination, here's the best way to figure out the answer to something. Sure. And so when I look at something, I back away from the picture, I try to look at the big picture, find out what the priorities are, eliminate things, you know, uh, based on the scientific method, and uh, go, go through it that way. So everything that I look at, I try to put through the scientific method if it's a question, if it's not a question, but it's a determined fact, then you have to look at the overall uh, situation because long-range shooting is a complex art right. when, when it comes out, you know, when you see someone doing it. There's a lot of procedures, a lot of steps to it. Yes. And so some of it you have to use scientific method to determine, like, you know, is this true or is this not true or how true is it or how much does it affect a certain thing. Right. But once you know what it is, then you have to back up. And the hardest part is to have the in, intuition and field experience to understand the prioritization of something. For right. example, there's a lot of things in shooting like aerodynamic jump or Coriolis drift, you know, that a lot of people nerd out on, if sure. that's the right term, I don't know. Yeah, sure. um, and uh, it's very interesting, and uh, people argue about it all day long, and they'll spend, yeah. you know, 9,000 calories trying to figure out exactly how that subtlety works, yeah. but they don't realize that in, you know, they could have put their efforts on this, this other thing. So prioritization of the major points in the craft, I think, is, is the part that actually puts the rubber to the road, you know, transfers the horsepower into the actual acceleration of the vehicle. For sure. Otherwise, you're just burning your tires. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's about, yeah, sensible application of your energy, you know, to get the result that you're aiming for. Um, yep. Do you find that the 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 thing that people should focus on is different for everyone, or is different by setup, or is or or are there some some just absolute hard and fast foundations that everybody should focus on? Instead well, there of... is a universal skeleton to the art of riflemanship, right? Which sure. is marksmanship. Sure. So marksmanship would be the foundation. You have to be able to handle whatever equipment it is that you're handling properly, right? And there's just a couple base fundamentals. We, we talk about that when we do our training, and it's also in the tutorial series. And you can get into infinite detail on that if you want to sharpen it. Sure. But you have to have your marksmanship down. Your equipment has to be sound. You know, it, like a lot of people really get excited about new cartridges, new barrels, new twist rates, new technology here, new parts there. 
And that's cool, and it's, it's neat to watch the advancement of the technology. But all in all, you need sound equipment, something that is not broke, like any rifle that's not broke, that's right. not rusted out, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something yeah. that'll, that'll put them in there that functions. And then the third thing that you have to have as your skeleton is a logical system that's organized to prioritize um, what your procedure is right. when you're talking about long range, because there is a certain amount of external ballistic compensation you have to do. So you have to know what that is. Yeah. And how to best apply that and the procedure for doing that, determining your range and all that stuff. You have to have a, some kind of system that's viable in the field. So that's the skeleton of long-range shooting when you're talking about that, that you, have, that you can't really deviate from that part. That's the part that's universal. Now, within that, it depends on the application so much on right. exactly what you're willing or wanting to do with it. If you're hunting or, you know, potential military or tactical applications, that's a field application that puts a whole different set of pressures on that craft sure. than you would have if you were just doing uh, maybe a, a more static competition F-class style shooting, target bench rest shooting, uh, even varmint shooting where you're shooting static. Uh, there's a lot of prairie dog hunting. I don't know if you've ever heard of that over there. For sure. But uh, yeah. out west in the United States, it's a big thing. And so, um, you know, if you're doing stuff like that, or if you're shooting at paper, or if you're shooting for group sizes, that's a whole different set of pressures, yeah. and you might have a different way of looking at the world through those lenses. So then it's, it's just a matter of asking, like, hey, what are you into? Now, most of my training and my background, and I always try to disclose this at my training, um, and even on the reviews, is I come from a field background. I grew up in the field. Yeah. Um, my father, it was always, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a bipod or that you could rest the rifle on something until yeah. I was like, I don't know, 10 years old. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had like five or six years of shooting offhand, you nice. know, and learning how to do that uh, just uh, in, in that one way. And then, okay, kneeling, you can get a little more steady or laying down. Holy smokes, that's a huge advantage. So yeah. um, there's know, a lot think, of other. I don't think a lot of people it. learn to shoot like that. I'd, I'd be. <laughs> I'd be surprised. <laughs> I know we can't. Well, sure, and, and that's the nature of static shooting ranges. I mean, they yeah. have to control it in a safe fashion, especially when yeah. there's higher populations. Um, it, to tell the truth, where, where I grew up, there was not like any shooting ranges per se. Right. Um, if, I mean, not like there is in the cities or, or on a military range or a police range or a government range or whatever. Um, it, it, the whole area surrounding my house was a shooting range. Yes. I mean, he's literally just go outside the house and don't point at any, you know, off buildings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't point at a road if there's cars on it, you know. Yeah. And so it's very, very, very rural um, up here. And up in where I'm from, you can shoot on any public land with no problem. So there was there was no need for a shooting range. Sure. So that whole idea of having to sit at a bench and be static, I didn't even know that existed until much later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's. Yeah, different. It's definitely it's, it's unorthodox. But I think, do you did you think that that gave you um, an advantage when you did come to introducing the bags and the bipods? Did you have a better feel for the gun? Abs absolutely. Um, so, like, if you understand the fundamentals of shooting, like standing, kneeling, um, sitting, and prone, just unsupported. If you can master the the fundamentals of marksmanship, doing it like that, yeah. And then when I first had my first bipod, for example, or used one, one of my cousins had a bipod, I think, I remember. And I thought, holy smokes, this is the ticket. It's like cheating, right? <laughs> it was amazing. You know, yeah. it's just something so stupid and simple yeah. that's ubiquitous nowadays, right? Sure. But uh, growing up out in the field in the middle of nowhere, you know, um, yes, it's it definitely it, – it, 
adds a huge amount of advantage mm. to it's all geometry and in, in, in positioning. And there's such a when you talk about uh, the fundamentals of marksmanship, one of them is having a you know a natural point of aim. Yes. Part of that is steady position, a comfortable p- position. Yeah. It's a lot easier to get into that if you have artificial support. Yeah. You basically lay the gun on the ground, adjust it with the toe support bag, and it is solid. Sure. And that takes this, the 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 worst part of any position position is the shooter sitting behind the rifle. Sure. Because yeah. that's a wiggly biological animal that's uh, you right. know got. Uh, one day it feels good, the next day it doesn't. One day it's wearing a fluffy coat, the next day it's wearing a T-shirt. Sure. Those those things all make difference, you know. Uh, you maybe drink a cup of coffee one day, the other day you didn't. So sure. that's the part that's changing the most. And if you can eliminate that by, you know, using artificial support, uh, that makes it a lot easier to be more consistent. And consistency is really the key mm-hmm. in, um, you know, getting good precision. So, um Segwaying from that into, I think that neatly rolls onto what you do in your courses with Rex Defense. Uh, you teach. I mean, I've I've seen. I've obviously not attended a course, but I've seen um, the videos you posted on Instagram. There's some really cool stuff that you do there. Um, and you've got. If I just quickly try and run through them, you've got the RX 100, 1000, and 3000, which is your long range course. You've got the mm-hmm. D, the DMR course. Uh, mm-hmm. A designated marksman rifle course, yep. Yeah, and then there's the hard target interdiction course, which looks like a lot of fun. That's <laughs> yep. That's, that's a, for big bores for shooting at hard targets. For those of you that know what that might be, yep. Sure. And then the combat command, like like on Terminator Two, uh, Judgment Day, that movie. Yeah, kind of like on that movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, any chance to live out a Terminator fantasy? That's... Or maximum over, or maximum overdrive. You ever see that one? I didn't. I'm gonna, I'll write it down. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a, that's a classic. That's a Stephen King. That's where all the cars and all the machines go crazy because right. it's some kind of comet. Yep. It's a really cheesy B roll kind of, or or you know B B movie for sure. And um, you know that's one that you watch when you're a kid, and it's pretty fun from the '80s. Classic, classic '80s yeah. scary movie from Stephen <laughs> you King. You can't beat '80s films. They uh, they were shameless. <laughs> it's basically a bunch of semi trucks driving around a gas station, and they're trying to figure out how to get past them. Right. And they're you know they're unmanned. They're just Got like they, they're possessed by whatever it is. Okay. So and that's the and that, that's where that comes in handy. Hard target interdiction. You know. Yeah. That's a hard target. You got to stop a semi truck from getting you. Sure. And you got to put a round through the engine block or something to to kill yeah. it. Well, you know, in law enforcement roles, that's a legitimate thing. For sure. Uh, there are vehicles that attack people nowadays, so yes. um, that's uh, kind of the, the perspective we're coming at it from, you know. Yeah, well, is, uh, and in hard a targets are, are something you have to stop sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you you cover a, a real range of um, a real range of interesting stuff, and and on the I think it's in the long range, but you you correct me if I'm wrong. You um, get the guys and girls to shoot from. Uh, different positions so from prone from seated and uh, not always um, there's a lot of variation in the sh- in firing positions uh, and you get them sure they see you seem to be getting them out of their comfort zone a lot of the time is that is there yep, a... no it depends on which class they're taking um the the rx 1000 and 3000 you know when you're shooting extremely far yeah. There's only a couple positions that are steady enough for you to even be able to carry that out. Right. Sure. Um, so that's mostly prone type shooting from artificial support. Um, but yeah. for a lot of the other shooting, the RX-100 uh, or the the, de- the designated marksman course, which is more of a, a moving course, you're like moving around. Um, 
basically any field application, it's very rare that you're going to find a shooting bench sitting out there when you need to shoot something. Absolutely, yeah. You know what I mean? So you have, to, you have to learn how to yeah. shoot offhand or kneel sure. or sit. And so, yeah, we go through all the different basic positions. Um, we sh- and it, That depends on body type. That depends on, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of other things. For example, I got sick a couple of years ago and my health was taken off the table. And before that, I always used to be kind of an in-shape guy. And so I was very dogmatic before I understood that there's different capabilities just right. within the human body, right? right. And when you get arthritic, like in the neck, like I've gotten so much recoil over the years that uh, the right side of my neck is very arthritic. Really? Um, so it limits the movement in your, your cervical vertebrae, right? Right. And or, for example, like you get heavier. Like I gained a lot of weight since I uh, had cancer a couple of years ago and steroid treatment and uh, chemotherapy and all this stuff. Right. And so... You know, after being a big guy versus a small guy, I'm like, wow, this is a whole different ballgame because the sure. ergonomics sure. of me laying behind that rifle are totally different now. Yeah. And so things that I used to think I could be dogmatic on, I kind of loosened up on now that I've been kind of all over the map. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I'm more empathetic towards other other, other deals because, uh, yes, yeah. there's, it depends on the situation is usually the answer. You don't get that. Obviously, in the style of shooting we have in the U.K., uh, and I know this is going out to the U.S. as well, so you know, it's uh, you guys will understand it better than us. But we have a lot of static bench shooting, and mm-hmm. uh, but if you're obviously if you're deer stalking, there's more opportunities to um, to find an interesting right. firing position. Um, and well, I think it's good to be well-rounded. You know, like yeah. there there's a huge value to the static shooting. Yeah, that's where you exercise. It's like weightlifting, right? You don't just right. do your legs all all the time. You all you do your legs one day, and then you do your back, and then you do your arms, and then yeah. you do your chest, and then you run. Uh, if you want to be well rounded in your fitness and yeah. bench rest shooting and static shooting is, is very good for learning the subtleties and the idiosyncrasies of getting the mechanics of the rifle perfect, yep. getting the ammunition perfect. You know, like F class type shooting or. Any, any of the competitive like bench rest type shooting is really good for pushing the edge on the equipment. That's where most of your technological advancement comes because you will actually see it. The noise in the system is usually the shooter yeah. being wiggly. And right. if you can remove the noise out of the system completely by having a bench rest competition, that's where you're going to start to see the downfalls of the technology. And now the technology is, you know, now you have a, a whole new race. Yeah. And so now that's where the, the evolution on the tech side comes from is in those crafts. So I find it very valuable. And I do a lot of my shooting in that in that way as well, because, like I said, for long range, typically you're going to try to find the ideal position. And if you could, that would be laying prone or in a very, very steady yes. uh, position that yes. is static. Yes. Um, when, you all, when, when people come on your courses, so, I mean, I, I guess they're all different, but when they come on your courses, do you generally – Ask them to um, go do a bunch of range shooting so they're well acquainted with their setup so that you can work from that foundation? Or do you do do you like to start from scratch with people and uh, kind of build them up? That's a great question. Um, really, in all honesty, if, you're, if you look at there's a big difference between training and practicing. Mm-hmm. Training is learning how to practice. A lot of people think they're training ahead of time but they're actually reinforcing maybe habits that are not helping them. Yeah. Um, sometimes they might be if they have guidance or if they just accidentally land on the right way to do it, or if they, you know, struggle with it long enough, eventually you will find that way that works, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can eventually find that out. Sure. Um, but uh, 
it's easier to work with folks if they come kind of fresh um, because then you can get the ergonomics corrected. And I, it's hard to unlearn things that you learned that are not as you know, not correct. Uh, being a guitar player, I remember learning some Jimi Hendrix songs when I was in seventh grade. Like I think I was playing Little Wing and Purple Haze or something like this, right? right? And I I got corrected. Right. And so I was playing the song the way I heard it because I was playing it by ear. And uh, it was close, but it wasn't exactly right. And so one of my cousins said, no, you're getting the wrong note, man. And so it it took me like 10 or 20 times more energy to unlearn and relearn, you know, yeah. what I had learned wrong. Yeah. <laughs> if I would have just not known it and then he would have showed it to me, it would have been a lot easier. And that's the way the brain works. You know, when you, when you have it, when you learn something, there's a wrinkle in the brain that is formed, you know, that's the physiology of it. And then that's hard to, then that, the more you do it, the more deep that wrinkle gets and that, that neurological pathway gets carved in there deeper and deeper. Right. And so like, if you're trying to unlearn it, it doesn't want to go. It wants to go yeah. down that path of least resistance. Sure. And so it's absolutely easier to start with uh, folks kind of from square one. If they're, you know, but we work with guys who have been shooting their whole lives too. Sure. We work with guys that are, you know, uh, very successful uh, instructors, champions of a competition, military folk, whoever, you know, we train with all kinds of tier one guys yeah. and um, they do great. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. Right. And so what we do is we don't try to correct anybody unless we see that there's a correction needed. And that's one of the things with dogmatic instruction is you'll find that sometimes, like I said earlier, we we like to superimpose our own uh, experience onto other people. And so like I will look at them and that's not the way I would do it. So I might be tempted back when I was younger to go and try to correct them. Yeah. even though they were shooting just fine sure. in that position. Sure. I didn't have the wisdom or the experience at that time to realize, okay, what are they doing? What are, what's the mechanical objectives? What are the actual things that have to be accomplished? Sure. Are, they, are they just walking a different way around the barn? And if they can do it better that way, then it then works fine. Sure. And do you find uh, that there is a, a common problem or common set of problems that run through, or maybe not problems, but... Um, challenges or difficulties or right exactly that this that people are you know when they come on your course they generally all do x you know or they all do y or something like that sure well we have a variety of different courses we usually start with a seminar is how we've been doing it for the last three years which is a very very heavy uh classroom endeavor everyone comes we talk okay. they they try to get their equipment uh figured out i think sometimes there's an overemphasis on different cartridges yeah. or different you know barrel twist rates or yeah. things like that sure the forums and those are things full of that will make a difference yeah yeah and i i think that's it's kind of <laughs> like um my wife actually plays uh roller derby you ever see what roller derby is where them gals get on roller skates and beat the heck out of each other yeah yeah it looks rough <laughs> i was actually where <laughs> are you guys at in there uh we're down in uh, well actually the the uh, tier one factory is in yorkshire so uh it's okay. in the north uh northeast of england um near the border sure sure yeah not too far from scotland I forget which train station it is. I think it's the big one in the middle of uh, London there. There's a, a skate shop that's real world famous for roller derby stuff. Oh, right. Um, but uh, they got quite a selection in there. <laughs> oh, well, I'll check it out. And yeah, so I okay. <laughs> but I, I remember it. And I also used to coach some of it as well, which right. was I found, found pretty entertaining. But sometimes there's this, some of them chicks are really, really good on their skates. Sure. 
but the the reason they weren't good on their skates is because they had the best wheel bearings or something like that. Yeah. It was because they knew how to skate. Yeah. Now, after a certain point, it, like it is with guitars, I remember I had the same sixty dollar. Uh, I think it was made in Korea, K guitar, K A Y guitar, real cheapy. And I used that for like 20 years before I upgraded because really? I found out, you know, after you master something, then you're like, okay, now you notice the subtle differences and how much nicer it is to upgrade, right? Sure. And so that's one of the things that people get um, when they're brand new into it, uh, that they're, they're, there's an overemphasis on like subtleties of like different cartridge advantages. There's no magic caliber or cartridge or bullet that'll make you just hit at a mile. No. It's all about the shooter again. <laughs> Yeah. Now those those advantages can help you, but there's like that's they're they're like uh, picking out one little pin out of a uh, you know a haystack, yep. and they're ignoring this mountain of stuff next to them that they need to worry about. Yeah, and sure. so that, that's a very common uh, deal that happens. I think it's just the uh, in, in overemphasis on some of those details before they get the basics squared away. Um, another very common one, probably in terms of marksmanship, would be maybe uh, follow through. Is very hard to train into folks that haven't been doing it their whole life. Right. That was hard actually for me to relearn. Right. Um, I grew up in a different style of shooting, where the um, I think where a lot of it comes from is really poor optics or open sights. So when you shoot and there's a recoil and there's an explosion right in front of your face, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. flinch, or yeah. you want to see what happens. You want you want uh, you want feedback from the target. You want to see what happens. Yeah. So typically, like as a kid, you have a, a really, really poor three-quarter inch scope tube yep. on some BB gun scope or yep. that's on your rifle or whatever, right? Sure. And you shoot, and then you got to look over the top of the rifle to see what actually happened because you can't yep. see through the scope. Sure. <laughs> you got to yeah. you pop your head up, yeah. and then you take your finger off the trigger, and that's something yeah. that's hard to train out of people when you put it behind a precision rifle yes. that's geared to be you, you stay glued to that rifle idealistically or a lot faster getting back on target if you just stay glued to that rifle so the rifle recoils you don't move you're like an oak tree well you know the, the rifle will push you a little bit but you don't move you don't blink you don't do anything you just right. lay there and you observe your bullet fly into the target yeah hopefully yeah <laughs> or next to the target if you've done it right you reassess you've taken you the course make a quick correction and shoot yeah yeah i can see that um that would be uh a common issue i mean it's very easy to get lost in the gear because you buy new gear, you feel like you've solved the problem and it's not so easy to fix a problem with yourself. Um, you know, right. If, if well, you... I, I tell people at the class, um, you could take Jimi Hendrix's guitar, you know, yeah. the Stratocaster or whatever, right? Yes. Or Stevie Rivon or any musician. Yes. Or, you know, pick anybody or sure. hand a basketball, you know, Michael Jordan's basketball or whoever. Yeah. To some random person on the street. Are they going to be a master basketball player just because they have Michael Jordan's basketball? No. Or because they have... Are they going to be able to just whip out a Jimi Hendrix song immediately, perfectly, with perfect execution, just because they have the guitar? No. <laughs> it's not about that. <laughs> no, the guitar, it needs to be sound, and it needs to be a good guitar, um, you know, but uh, there's you have to learn how to play the thing. So that's that's the main thing. So I won't, I won't, I won't dive into gear too much, but is there, like, a good setup that you would recommend for people if they're just a beginning and they want to get into long range? And sure. They want, what, what would you recommend? Well, it depends on exactly what kind of long-range shooting you're looking to do, but I, I think that there's a one of the very popular choices nowadays has been the 6.5 Creedmoor. Yes. When I originally did my uh, tutorial series online, it was brand new. It had not reached critical mass yet, but that's right. very uh, common now. It's kind of become the long-range caliber 
that's commercially available. So there's a lot of ammunition. You don't have to get into reloading. You can buy over-the-counter ammunition. It's reasonably priced. The recoil is low. Um, if you put it in any decent rifle, I think that like a Tika makes a good rifle, the Tika T3. Sure, you yes. can get a Savage uh, Model 12, you know, the target rifles or the Model 10s. They all shoot very well. Sure. Um, I was actually just shooting a Mossberg, which is the cheap kind of version of a Savage it's only like two or three hundred dollars US over here, which is pretty pretty cheap. Yeah. And sure. uh, it shoots almost as good as those fancy ones. Really? Really? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, if you get a good sound rifle, I like I like Tika, I like Savage for over the counter options. I think something in a six point five millimeter or even maybe a two forty three Winchester is a good place to start because they're plenty good enough to get you way past a thousand yards with no problem right yeah. Yeah. and it's hard to find a range in most places in the world that shoot farther than that sure um like busily uh does that go out to, uh, beyond a thousand i'm trying to remember how far they go there yeah I, d I know it's a very big range i'd have to check um, i've not shot there myself but uh yeah it is sure uh, it's a but uh yeah, so I think that a 6.5 Creedmoor does it very well for target shooting stuff like that no problem sure if you need energy on target you know, because you're you're shooting at animate targets or whatever that yeah. might be, yeah. um, or hunting or yeah. something like that, or if you need to shoot at extreme long range, like beyond a mile, yeah. then you're going to need a Magnum. Okay. Now you're in a whole different ball game. Now you need something at least like a 330 at La, La Magnum. Sure. And uh, there's a lot of I, I like Saco, uh, the TRG42 is a great over-the-counter option. I really like Steyr. Actually, makes if you have a little more money to spend. Sure. Uh, makes a great product. Uh, Rangemaster Precision Arms there in England has great products. Accuracy International, very good. Yes. Those are very, very, very heavy-duty, rugged uh, weapons, yes. and uh, they do a great job as well. So, I mean, it's uh, they're, they're all good if, if you know how to run them. Sure, and uh, but I guess just keep just bear in mind that you know, if you're not Jimi Hendrix, right, you don't need right. You don't need Jimi <laughs> Hendrix's guitar <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, or vice versa, you could hand Jimi Hendrix a cheap guitar and he could make it sound uh, oh, beautiful, probably, if you of, let him tune it up, right? Of course, that it would sing. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's, I mean, <laughs> it's a good metaphor, the guitar, because it is something you have to master to get beyond a, quite a clumsy, clunky sort of style of playing. Um, sure. And gen of course, there are people who are, who are super talented, and I'm sure Jimi Hendrix was. But it, uh, for most people, it comes down to hours you know how many hours did you spend playing that guitar you know practicing your chords is it the same you find with with the rifle is it the same sort of process is it about hours behind the gun that's a great that's a very very intelligent question um let me think about that for a second i would say uh, there is a certain component of it that is natural ability some people have good fine motor control skills right yeah uh women and actually do a really good job with that right they're good natural long-range uh, marksmen because they have very very subtle and fine control over their fine motor uh skills they also have the hippocampus in the brain uh, links the left and right side of the brain more uniformly because they're focused on a more peripheral attention whereas right. uh, a man's brain uh, zooms in more on one particular topic. And they, so in long-range shooting, there's so much stuff going on. You have to manage your breathing. You have to manage your marksmanship. You have to keep an eye on the wind. You have to remember your ballistics. You have to see what the target's doing. There's actually like managing this whole office. You know, it's like if you have a computer, how much RAM is it taking up? There's all kinds of stuff going on in a long-range shot that's very dynamic and continuously changing, particularly the wind. So women actually do a very good job at it naturally. So there is a certain component that is natural aptitude, 
time put in and number of rounds fired can either hurt you or help you. Right. If you're doing it wrong, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> if you're doing it right or, or a way, there's not a wrong or a right, but if you're doing it a way that works good for you, then it gets better and better and better and better. If you're doing it a way that's even better than that, then it doesn't take as much time to practice, right? Sure. Um, I have a course called Zero to uh, Deadly. It's the RX100 course. Okay. And we have shooters come that have never touched a rifle. Really? And actually, I had an experiment before we started the class. We had a Casey Day. Um, she was uh, doing the podcast that we were doing last year, and she had never shot a rifle in her entire life. Right. And I gave her a five-minute lecture. Uh, she was laying down with a, a decent rifle, you know, prone, with a toe support bag and a bipod. Yeah. And it was a uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. She and we, we I had, I think I had her dry fire two or three times. It's on video on YouTube. Right. On the Tiborosaurus Rex channel under okay. Rex Reviews. You can look up the Zero to Deadly video. Yeah, we'll and I just kind of, I, I kind of micromanage her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I walk her through every step. I look at her, you know, her cheek pressure. I'm like, okay, you're not going to want to do that. You're going to want to get your head positioned this way. Okay, now watch your finger here, you know. And if, if someone has been doing it their whole life, they can see if they're struggling with something, then it needs to be corrected. If they're doing something different, but it's going to work, then you just leave it alone. Yeah. And the objective is to get the, the rifle perfectly steady exactly on target, right? Yeah. And then squeeze the trigger trigger as to not disturb the lay of the rifle. It's actually – shooting is actually very simple in concept. Yes. You don't wiggle. You point the gun straight at the target, and then you don't wiggle when you shoot. And then you know, it's the target. It should go, Now, yeah. you could go on for a million years talking about all the subtleties of that. But we got her squared away in, I think, five minutes, and her first three shots she ever fired in her life were under a minute of angle. Wow, so, so, yeah, it's, um, it's not a number of rounds because people can really, like I said before, you can have training scars as well. Sure. And you can reinforce bad habits sure. that you have to unlearn later, and it's a lot more expensive that way. Yeah, uh, without a doubt, and uh, I, I guess a lot of the barrier to that is pride. You know, people people don't don't want to admit that what they're doing is wrong. Or, uh, <laughs> well, know. and that's another thing too. It's interesting. I call it the Y chromosome factor. And you know how you have uh, your firing tables, like you have your ballistic information taped on your rifle. Sure. I always like to have one uh, column off to the side is the Y chromosome factor. That's how much your cone of fire opens up when you have like five or more dudes looking over your shoulder as you're shooting. You know, or it's a constant. You can, you can, you, you can do it. One guy looking over your shoulder, you miss by this much. Two yeah. guys, then you got to multiply it by this much. Yeah. So it's a constant that you multiply by. But yeah. the Y chromosome will totally, totally hose a guy sure. bad. Sure. Like really bad. It's actually... If you, and you can people might argue with this, but I mean, there's been studies on, uh, you know, the art of warfare for a long time is kind of something that people study, right? Of course. And there's a book uh, called On Killing. Have you ever read that or heard of it? I think I saw your uh, one of your um, co uh, one of your one of your guys who works in your courses, J.R. Mildot, Junior Mildot, is it? I think he recommended sure, yep, that yep. book on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Yep, it, it, it talks about the psychology of warfare, the psychological leverage, all the things in history. It goes through all the field studies from World War II with like that Marshall did. It goes back to like Agnes Khan and Rome and Julius Caesar's notes and everything. It's very interesting. Nice. But it it's actually interesting that people are more scared, even in combat, of disappointing the guy next to them in, in their performance wow. than they are at getting killed or hit with an you know, arrow or yeah. starving to death or getting hit by a grenade. Like they literally 
by magnitudes are more scared to fail in front of their friends than they are to die. And so that's the Y chromosome factor is no joke. I call it the slobber factor. And so like what you'll see, you want to hear a funny story? Well, this is kind of horrible. Maybe I shouldn't tell it. (laughs) Well, tell it and then if it's no good, we'll cut it. (laughs) Okay. So um, when I grew up uh, with uh, me and my brother were shooting and we would – where I'm from is very rural. You drive around and you take care of garments. So you're driving in a pickup truck in the dark. And I think we, we I had a Kalashnikov and he had an AR-15. Right. And uh, we're driving with the pickup truck. And then these critters run out that are varmints. So you have to get rid of them, right? Yeah. And so you got to be quick, though, because they get out of the light. Sure. And so I remember on one, it was kind of a contest who could get get the first shot off or who could make the hit first. Yeah. And there's this one and it, you only have like a one or two second window max to get, to get out of the truck and shoot and hit it. Wow. Or it's all, you, you got to start over. Yeah. And so uh, the truck is still actually rolling. It's an 83 Toyota pickup with right. no park brake. The park brake was off. <laughs> and so I, I slam on the brakes to get the car or the, the pickup slow enough to where it's just rolling. Yeah. I barrel out with the Kalashnikov. Yeah. And there it is, just right in front of me. And he's getting out, and I see that he's about to do it. So I intuitively point shoot, and I think I rip off uh, five or ten rounds real quick. <laughs> and uh, the, the the critter disappeared. Yeah. This is like Looney Tunes. So sure. I, forgive me if this is not cool. I don't know. No, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel bad now. <laughs> I don't do this anymore. I am now, I when I watch uh, animal movies, like the cartoons where they anthropomorphize all the characters, yeah. like Over the Hedge or Pixar movies, I cry when the animal is sad. And you know, like I, I'm a softie now in my older age. But when you're an adolescent, yeah, you know, all adolescent mammals, especially predators, they start to really drool and slobber at the idea of chasing down that bunny rabbit, just like your puppy dog does, right? Sure. Or just like a cat does when it's chasing a bird. Sure. So when me and, you know, in adolescence, yeah, it's a good <laughs> I remember character arc. I ripped off these five or ten rounds, and that critter disappeared. <laughs> and he's looking at me, and then you ever see the movie uh, Tremors with the underground worms? Uh, no, but I know, I've seen clips of it. I haven't seen the whole movie, but I've seen <laughs> clips. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a, I don't remember. There's a part where they blow up a worm. Right. You know, it, there's these giant, it's, a, it's another monster movie. I'm trying to make pop culture references. Come on. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, there's anyways, all the parts start falling out of the sky about 10 seconds later. And I'm like, sure. oh, there it is. Like yeah. I thought I missed that. I didn't know what it. happened. There's so much smoke and dust. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess that's a hit. Yeah. And um, my brother looks over at me and he's like, dude, look at your shirt. And I look down and my whole front of my shirt is just covered in drool. Well, I'm a teenager, right? I'm a, yeah. Or I'm a young man. Yeah. And I'm like, holy Moses. Yeah. And so that's what I call the slobber factor. It's sure. amazing how much tunnel vision you get when you're on the chase. Yeah. And that goes for if it's a competition, if it's uh, kinetic applications, or if you're hunting, or if your buddy's watching you, or, or hey, hold my beer while I do this. Yep. You never mix beer with guns, by the way. But, you know, if anything in life, um, that slobber factor, the adrenaline, yeah. you know, um, pack your psyche, your brain, the speed of the mind sure. changes. Your, yeah. your tunnel, all the adrenaline does so many things to your mind and to your muscles. And it's just weird yeah. uh, how much it can affect you negatively well, it's <laughs> if ancient... you don't keep it in check or understand its effects. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, yeah it's a hunting instinct, of course. That's a in- really interesting point. Do you think that th- the control of those sort of things is the difference between pros say tactical operators you know actual special forces or or military operators 
who have had that, who've been trained to handle those natural hormonal responses and therefore are colder in the application of the process? Um, Sure. A lot of that is breaking through the ice. Um, There's another term for it, which I will not use. Um, I already told enough scary stories for the audience with that last one. Um, But uh, you got to break through the ice. Yeah. Um, For example, I'll use a parallel again, which people might understand better. Um, Public speaking, for example, is another fear that they say people fear speaking publicly more than they fear death. It's the biggest fear there is, right? Sure. Or letting someone... They're scared someone's going to think they're dumb. It goes back to what we are talking about earlier with the the studies that Marshall did on war, right? And so if you look at that, that's interesting as well. Is like – and forgive me. What was the question again? (laughs) It was going on like nine trails at once. It was about – that's right. It was about uh, – you you mentioned the – there's a natural sort of – Oh, yeah, special operators and training yourself out of it. Yes. Yeah. You have to break through the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And the first time you do a speech, you're terrified. The sure. second time you do it, you're kind of terrified. Yeah. You kind of get through it, right? Yeah. Um, I remember uh, being a musician. It, my whole family's musicians, and they're highly critical studio musicians. They're right. very good. Right. And they do, like, recording on albums primarily. And then they played live all the time. But all the cousins, all the uncles, everybody, and it's a big family. They're all very critical. Right. And so I was always a little shy to come out. I wasn't scared to play the guitar in front of everybody because I could do that. But to sing was very personal, you know, because that's my voice coming out of my mouth. Like, and if I don't do it right, then it's it's more embarrassing. And so I was terrified. And I remember my father uh, put me on the spot. And he's like, nope, because he would hear me singing by myself. And he's like, you're a good singer. You need to go out there and sing. And I'm like, no, I'm yeah. not going to. I'm too scared, you know. Yeah. So he put me on the spot one day, and, and then I did it. And for the first two seconds... I almost, I mean, I was, I was so stressed. I was probably sweating blood. Yeah. I mean, that's how high my blood pressure. I was probably yeah. like on the verge of a stroke sure. as a kid. I think I was 15 years old when this happened. Yeah. And there's 300 of my family in this giant city hall building Goodness all looking me. at me. Goodness just me. like, okay, what's this kid going to do? And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. And so we started playing uh, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones. Great song. And, um. You know, the line comes out, and they're all kind of watching. Okay, so all right, you got the you got the first lick down, and then the first verse comes in, and I sing it. And the second their eyes, like, oh, yeah, okay, then they're dancing. And I'm like, oh, once the dance begins, man, yeah. like, okay, you broke into the ice. Then Shit. after that, it's like there's the, that, that frictional resistance, and it's this way in physics, to initiate the movement of any object that has friction on it, right? Yeah. You have to break the frictional resistance, which is all those microscopic like sure. contours that you can't see even on a microscope, barely the dermal ridges on your hand. Sure. Like if you put your hand on the table and press down and then try to slide it across the table, yeah. it's stuck until it breaks loose. Once it breaks loose, it's fine. Yeah. That's the same thing with getting past the Y chromosome. And that's what uh, your tier one guys, professionals and military guys learn is they kind of break through the ice. And once they break that frictional resistance, which is infinite, Things that nobody can quantify. Nobody knows what it is psychologically that that exactly is. But once you break that frictional resistance, then you can go ahead and move. And once you pick up speed, then it's not that big of a deal. And it's the same thing is true with hunting. I remember the first uh, deer that I've ever taken, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was the same way. You're just so nervous. And then after that, you know, it's kind of like, oh, no big deal, you know, or playing guitar or that other stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so that's my personal opinion. I'm sure it's different for everybody, but 
Uh, that's a pattern that I've observed. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you there. And uh, I've got a cold sweat because the idea of singing in public is uh, <laughs> absolutely one of my <laughs> top fears. Um, could we, uh, I'd love to, to get some of your technical knowledge into this. Something that, sure. could you cover something that you teach maybe on one of your courses and uh, just spend five or 10 minutes going into detail on that? And just treat me as if I, I've come to the course and know nothing, and uh, it's about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, uh, actually, I learn more at my courses, I think, than my uh, uh, students do, because right. I like to listen um, more than I like to project. And that's probably the biggest speech I could ever give at the course, and that's the one that I hope resonates the best with everybody. And I tell them at the end of the course as well, is like never decide that you have figured it out. Because the second you have made that decision, you cease to learn. Ego and pride are the two solid roadblocks that you'll never get past that will completely stop your venture further into any craft. Mm. Once you choose that you're the expert, you'll, then you're immediately done learning. Sure. So that's the one thing that I – the main thing I try to talk to people about is just keeping it open. People are so dogmatic. And there's so many different discussions, and it's interesting if you read all the technical um, – There's a, for example, if you talk about um, the mechanisms on the molecular scale that are responsible for actually the heating of the barrel, right? So you have right. a cartridge chambered into a rifle barrel. You have the, the, the firing pin hits the primer. The primer contains just a thin film of PETN, pentaryphorite, tetranitrate, or a mercury fulminate of some kind, a priming compound. That goes off. The incandescent particles go into the propellant is usually a nitrocellulose-based kind of uh, powder that burns slowly, builds a pressure. The bullet starts to move out of the frictional resistance of the case. Then it touches the lands of the rifling. Then it starts to move down there. There's a lot of details of stuff that's going on. And, like, if a guy follows that, you can go down a million rabbit trails. Um, but there's the, the flame and the fire, you would imagine, is what could, you know, heat the barrel, right? Sure. And so, guys, and it's interesting because it's important in terms of metallurgy and engineering and how to build a rifle barrel that lasts longer, uh, you know, the hammer forging process and things like that. Mm. But what actually is heating up the barrel? Is it the friction? Is it the fire? Because that's a pretty hot flame, right, mm. behind that bullet. And uh, so there's guys that are engineers that will argue. It's like, you know, um, I forget what the percentages are. I, was, I, I, I remember having a conversation when I was doing Sniper 101 uh, with, a, I think, a German physicist who was studying it or something. And we had a great back and forth on the Internet. He was explaining to me the actual physio or the, the, the mechanisms of how the barrels heat up, according to his studies. Right. And he's like over 50% of the heating of the barrel just from the flexing of the steel at a supersonic rate. Wow. Right? Okay. So you have the... the the deformation of the metal, if you bend a piece of metal back and forth, a lot of times it heats up, right? Yes. And so that's a huge part of it is the shock wave of the explosion just resonating through the metal, the, the movement, you know? Yep. And so then a, a part of it is from the friction, obviously, and then, of course, you have the flame behind it. Sure. But that's all – people will argue about that stuff. And uh, the the point is that, like – Nobody really knows some of these details. And the second that someone gets entrenched into a, a position that you're not sure on, that's where the scientific method, that's where you get out the old scientific method, right? right. Which focuses on skepticism. What do we, on observe? What do we right? actually measure? 
Mm. Yeah, it has to. Be, you have to have the other guy confirm it. If it's not confirmed, right? Like right now, there's a debate on bullet stability, right? Okay. On like, how, is the Miller stability number like a, a thing that is something that can be trusted as a constant to stabilize that projectile? Right. Or is it more in one of my hypotheses? And I'll, I'll admit it's just a hypothesis. It's not even a theory yet. It's not a fact for sure. Right. Is that a huge part of bullet stability has to do with the alignment of the actual bullet as it exits the case, uh, oh, the mouth of the case, and enters into the bore. So how is that chamber cut? That's a huge deal. Yeah. If it's asymmetrically swedged into there, in my the way I would imagine it would work, <laughs> yeah. And I don't have ops. It's hard to get a camera rammed into there to look at it without special equipment, right? For but sure. if you have a bullet asymmetrically swedged into the bore, different from one rifle to the next to the next to the next because of the manufacturing process of the rifles, right? Yeah. How they cut the chamber is like there's a guy on a machine that pulls a lever. When it's done, he throws it in the pile. Then he pulls the lever again on a new one. He throws it in the pile. Well, each one of those is slightly different. Of course. And so each one's going to have a different amount of deformation on that bullet in a different way some are more symmetrical some are more asymmetrical and so i think that plays a huge role in some of the noise they're seeing and some of the inconsistencies they have in bullet stability because i've witnessed um i mean hundreds of times in my in my own life because uh we've been doing a lot of extreme long-range shooting for a long time just for fun um and professionally before that and other things like that but even in the training the rx 3000 class I log everything. And so I ask them, all right, what's your twist rate? I note what bullets they're shooting, and then we shoot at a distance that's twice the, the range it should be stable at, right? Because right. when the bullet goes subsonic, from supersonic to subsonic, usually there it tumbles and it hits the sonic barrier and it destabilizes. Yeah. Well, it doesn't. there's certain rifles that shoot way better through that, that zone. Really? And so then I, I make, but you're not going to know those things unless you scientifically log them. Yes. And when I started logging them, I noticed like, hey, there's this, you know, like the European way of chambering a rifle, particularly the Austrian and the Austrians and the Germans, uh, the way they do it with the, the CIP specifications and the way they do it with the CNC machining, like, hmm. is very, very uniform. It's right. different than a reamer, like in the way they do it in the United States. And so when you, when I see those rifles shoot, I see them like they're very consistently going way past the supersonic range. Yeah. They can go 3,000 yards and maintain their cone of fire the whole time. Right. Almost, and then even even barrels that don't have enough twist rate, according to the math equations, right? Yeah. And so I'm always, um, if you want to get into the technical aspect, I always love to question the methods and materials of any given study. Um, that's hugely important. A lot of times guys look at uh, pure review journal articles, for example, if you're a scientist, right? Like when I used sure. to be a scientist one time. Yeah. Um, I, I had to go through the peer review process for my own papers, right? And also I had to do peer review on other people's papers. And um, like some people just think that going through the process means that it's good. That's not true. Sure. Who reviewed it? How critical were they? Did they actually read it? Did they actually have time to think about it? Yeah. Because what, what a good scientist will do is they'll be very, very hypercritical of the methods and materials. They're going to ask you every detail like, all right. So, like, what about this? What about that? Could it have been this? Well, what if an ant walked on your, you know, the front yeah. of your barrel? Like, what if this happened? What if there was a, you know, a breeze down there? Like, there's, yeah. oh, what, what are your, like, did you control the atmosphere? What if it was this? How sure. exactly were you laying behind the rifle? Those are the things where you advance the sciences by being 
critical of the methods and materials. And that's what we've incorporated into a lot of our training is because we exercise that every time we train, we just keep compounding this information. And then we apply that. And it's always a chart that's moving up and down. And we do little experiments with the drills to test things and see them. And then we log that. And uh, it's interesting, but um, you're not going to see it if you're not paying attention. And so there's these technical these technical uh, breakthroughs a lot of times are made by observations of very simple things. You mm-hmm. don't need the most high-tech stuff to make an observation. For example, um, when we're at the 3,000-yard uh, line, and because he can't see 3,000 yards through optics, good enough, especially in small, we're shooting 7-millimeter bullets and 30-caliber bullets at 3,000 yards Yeah, very effectively at my class. And that's way, way smaller than what most people use. Right. And then you have your guys with their bigger stuff, 338s and whatever. Sure. But um, you have to have a spotter down there. You have to have a forward observer, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so we got our we got our FOs. The first year it was me and a couple buddies. And then the second year was uh, some of the other guys that were experienced. But they're listening to the bullet coming in overhead. Right. And if the bullet's whistling in real, real, real silence, that means that it's going pretty aerodynamically straight through the air. It's maintained its tractability which means that it's still point on with its arc of descent, which is usually like 40 degrees or something like that. Right. If the bullet is sounds like a helicopter coming in, yeah. it's tumbling. Yeah. If the bullet's overhead, you know it's tumbling very quickly. Right. And so you can generally categorize these things if you ask, okay, which rifle was that? Okay, it was this rifle. All right, then you start to see patterns when you see that happen enough times. Right. And so that's uh, how we're attempting to advance the science and, and come to a better understanding. But like like I said before, the second a guy decides that you know everything, then yeah. you stop learning. So I decided a long time ago, and my, and my father always was a, a big, big proponent of this way of thinking. Is like the more you know, the more you start to realize that you don't know. So always pay attention to what's going on, and then always be ready to be corrected. Hold it out in the palm of your hand to be corrected by reality. Reality is truth. Yeah. Reality is king. Yeah, your own personal so that's, experience. That's kind yeah. of where I like to go with that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's brilliant. I mean, it's it's very. Uh, I mean, it is astounding that you know, after so many years and so many people doing it and so much effort put into the study of ballistics and warfare, that these things are still being discovered. Um, but it just goes to show sure. that that you know, there's there's always more to learn. So well, that's that's an interesting thing too. There's a lot of rediscovery of things they've known for a hundred years too, because this the science of long range precision shooting and small arms is very new when you get to this level of precision. Like since the '90s, they've been really using like 50 calibers for extreme long range interdiction. You know sure, what I'm talking about? Like the HTI stuff yeah. or the 338 Lapoel was in the '90s. I was the first. You know, that's when they really started doing ELR type shooting, and they've done it before that, of course. But if you look back at the naval gunnery manuals and the, you know, field artillery from all these different countries, they have very, very good studies on a lot of these effects. And that's where a lot of guys, that's where I do a lot of my research is I'll look at these old papers from 100 years ago or 50 years ago and I'll look at them and be like, huh, never thought of that, but that's exactly what's going on. (laughs) And then I'll make a note of it. And then five years later, the industry will find out and then they'll make some fix for it, you know? So it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, you always got to be open to look at old information, new information, and always respect your elders. So those that came before us, what if, who knows, maybe they spent $10 million trying to figure out some subtlety of, uh, you know, internal ballistics that, that will save us a lot of money if we just pay attention to what they noted. And so that's why I, I like to dig through the books on that <laughs> stuff too. 
Well, of course, artillery was much more important, you know, 60 years ago, even 100 years ago, certainly. Sure. Um, in, in artillery the is the king of battle. That's like 75% of your casualties of war is, uh, mm. you know, indirect fire munitions and, and bombs and things like that. So, mm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, a big deal. Plus, artillery is way more expensive. Yeah. That's probably one of the big reasons no one spent that much money on small arms is because just keep shooting, right? Yeah, yeah. Like sure. 25 cents a round, just keep shooting. You know, it's yeah. not a problem. Yeah. An artillery round is like very expensive. So like, okay, we can't just burn through these things all day. No, and we can only, right. and they're heavy. You can only carry so many rounds. We're going to actually figure out the math. They yeah. hire a team of engineers and scientists to, to reverse engineer the mathematics. They come out with a drag model, which is just a model. It's not reality. It's just a model. Right. Come out with a drag model to come up with the, you know, like the G1 or the G7 drag model, which were all based on small artillery pieces back in the day. Right. And uh, they uh, figured out the science and, and re reverse engineered it. But there's a lot to be learned there for sure. There's, a, there's clearly a lot of secrets. I mean, that's a really, really interesting point that uh... – it's, it's more likely stuff that we've forgotten than stuff we haven't yet discovered. Um, There's the secret sure. to good long range. So um, getting towards, uh, I, I know I'm conscious we're, I'm using up your time now, we're getting to the end of the hour, but I'm, I'm keen to know uh, and to let our listeners know what is coming up for you in 2020. I know you've got... Sure. Uh, there's an RX seminar in Australia that I'm aware of in March. Correct. Yep. Yeah, we just went live with that on the website. Uh, so we're going to be going to Melbourne, Australia, for yep. any of our friends down there. Um, and we're hoping that's going to be a good time. I, I really, I got some good friends from Australia. And so right. I've been invited down there repeatedly. I thought, ah, heck, we'll just go down there, make it easy for them. Yeah. And uh, so that'll be fun. That'll be our RX seminar. That's the, the classroom portion of the training, which is really the big download of information. Right. Um, right. And so that's one of the big things we've got going on next year. And of course, we have uh, rexdefense.com is the website. Yeah. It has our training schedule on there, and uh, we have a series. Uh, we have, I think, we have another combat command fire class, which is kind of, it's basically a different name. It's a, it's a field craft, you know. It's a sniper class, like an old uh, old Sodic style sniper class. And um, we got our. Uh, we're going to start to book it up. We're uh, in phase two of the operation in Rex Defense. The first three years, my business model was to kind of. Uh, test it see how it goes do some traveling get around a bit meet some folks get some you know get a couple ranges nailed down that we like to use kind of explore the commercial market and see where it's at sure and so now we're we've got a place uh in the northeast united states that we like um i'm looking for a place in the southwest um and then we're going to centralize the location here for this year and then we're going to do a lot more where we're going to kind of pin her down and I'm doing a lot more testing and evaluation uh, work with other companies now, too, uh, that's taken up. I, I wish I had a cloning machine. Then it would be more fun. You know, I could do yeah. two things at once. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, so it, it, the future is always unclear. I never – I play life by ear, and I try not to schedule out too far in advance sure. because life changes so fast. You never know what's around the corner. Sure. And uh, I don't like to commit. I if I commit to something, I always follow through with that thing. Like I will, I cannot not do it. Yeah. Uh, like uh, even if I got pneumonia, I'm at my class yeah. and suffering and, and whatever it is. But I'm still smiling because that's what I'm that's what I'm there to do. So it did look pretty cool. Um, at, but uh, uh, your recent one in Texas. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny. The last class we did in Texas, it was cold. And normally, Texas, Texas is in the continental interior, at least in you know, yep. somewhat. There's the Gulf there, but it, it swings radically back and forth. The temperature. Yeah. 
Same thing up here where I'm from. In the summers up here will get 115 degrees Fahrenheit. The winters can get 70 below Fahrenheit, wow. negative 70 degrees. Wow. So it can really hot, really cold. Yep. Uh, today we, we actually, I, I had to rush home today for the interview. Um, one of my uh, friends got a, a new Smith and Wesson AR-15, yep. and uh, we were uh, getting that tuned in and kind of getting him a basic uh, rifle management lesson. It's his first rifle. Okay. And so we're showing them how it operates and basic safety and uh, stuff like that. And zeroed it, you know, at 25 meters, like a battle site zero. Yeah. And, um, and that an- another interesting point that I learned uh, today, or that not that a guy learned so much, but just reiterated it, yeah. is there's so many different preferences that people, again, like I said at the beginning of the show, they'll superimpose equipment preferences on everybody or like what kind of gloves you should wear, what kind of oil you should run in your gun, what works best, right? Yeah. And then you go out and it's like really cold. Yeah. All right. You don't feel your fingers now because you're wearing gloves. Yeah. With gloves over the top of those. Yeah. And your fingers are numb because it's that cold. Yeah. And you're holding onto this weapon that's cold. Yeah. You don't feel the trigger. That's why the, that's, that's why the trigger is eight pounds. Right. Guys like to put target triggers on those things. I don't like to put a target trigger on the battle rifles. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and so, you know, just kind of learning what it's like to do it in the field is so much different than what people imagine sometimes you know when they're in a more comfortable environment most people don't like to go shooting when it's horrible out i think no. it's a great opportunity to learn real life you know yeah. and so you know that's something that uh, or or for example a bless a ballistic application like on on telephone right yeah. there's a lot of really good ballistic apps that are on your phone sure and i always tell guys this is something that i am dogmatic on is when you come to a rex defense course if it's one of our long-range courses I'll tell guys you have to write down your ballistic data in at least its most basic form on paper and tape it to the weapon. Right. And people usually will follow the what I say to do, but I have to I have to say it ten times. Really? Because <laughs> there's always a couple of people that think they know better, you know, and that's fine. So, and I smile and I I'm not you know I, I get a kick out of it and then I, I make the, the example for the next day. Yeah. Um, but uh, the phone will freeze. The phone will have ice on it. Really? You can't use it with gloves on. You know, uh, there's so many things people don't think about when it's 70 degrees in your house playing with a ballistic app. Yep. When it's like freezing rain and a 30 mile an hour wind, then it doesn't work or it gets wet or the battery goes dead because it's like 30 below For or, sure. you know, uh, it won't feel your finger because your finger is frozen. And so um, it's kind of or, or it'll just glitch or you'll hit the wrong button and go to the wrong gun. And so I always tell people, use use your technology, but write it down. You know, a day ahead of time and tape to your weapons, you have a backup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's good advice. There's definitely, uh, it, there's a lot of um, crutches out there to lean on, you know. A lot of different tools, a lot of sure. different technologies. Um, but and you, I, I love technology. I think it's great. But uh, you have to always, you have to always go out there and wrestle with it in real life before you start to realize, okay, how is this to be employed in the field? And that's a big part of our training emphasis too, is like helping people manage that stuff. Because sure. we use all that technology stuff, lasers. But even with lasers, there are times when you can't use a laser for multiple reasons. Right. And um, so there, you have to understand the other methodologies. You have to understand stadiometric ranging. You have to understand basic training. <laughs> you know, and it's just a three-step equation. But like um, using your reticle to find out the distance to the target. You will have to do that if you're going to be shooting in non-perfect conditions. For sure. And so that's something that we have fun with as well. And we at our courses, we always like have a lot of fun. Great. Um, yeah, Adam, even when we fail, especially when we fail. Yeah. 
And that's another big thing too. You you were asking earlier if there's if there was one thing I could tell people. Yeah. Uh, you know, besides you know, always keeping an open mind is like look at failure as the solid gold it is. Your yeah. failures are worth so much more than your successes. You yeah. don't learn anything when you hit the target. You just get more in cocky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, that was awesome. Oh, I hit it again. Oh, now I'm really good. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a a young a young gentleman at one of our classes out east a few months ago, and he was it was raining out, and it was I think 1100 yard target, and uh, he was hitting it just one right after another. We had a, a certain drill with rules. You can only shoot one shot, and then you have to walk all the way back to the end of the parking lot, get your second cartridge, go back, and right. take another shot. Right. And so this kid started getting kind of, you know, he was doing good. And so his sure. successes were actually making him, you know, feel too confident. Yeah. And so he started cheating on the drill. And so I said, hey, the, 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 we have uh, we have fun with it, but I make him do push-ups if they catch him cheating. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do push-ups with him. And, you know, there's, there's some kind of punishment of some kind, right? Sure. And we're, and we're always laughing and stuff. And, and um, we put the pressure on, and, and the kids are like, oh, no, I can hit it uh, every time. I'm like, really? Are you sure about that? What about if I'm looking at you right now? Can you hit it right now while I'm looking at you? <laughs> you <laughs> get so nervous that you just factor. barely miss. <laughs> yeah, so we had a little gamble, and I said, hey, if you hit it, I won't make you do the push-ups. But if you miss, it's going to be horrible, and you don't even want to know what's going to happen. And so he shot, and he just barely missed the target, you know, at 1,100, oh. so we, we had a good laugh. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, your your uh, failures are actually more gold because that caught if, if you have that open mind like I talked about earlier, so you can go and explore, you got to find why you missed. Yeah. And that's the big thing with long-range shooting. There's so many guys that get comfortable with shooting and missing and then just spinning the dial to where it hit and then shooting. Yeah. That's uh, just a really slow machine gunner, really. That's not like mm. um, that's not long range precision shooting. That's just kind of like cranking it in there, walking it in. You know, it's a different sure. deal. So, sure. But it's all fun. I've done that before too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when no one's looking. Well, that's lazy. it. You know, like, I don't want to think. Yeah. Today. <laughs> it's like in golf. If you go to the if you're a golfer, you go to the driving range, you know, and you get that that yeah. new. Uh, driver out, you know, it's a giant club, you can barely swing it, and uh, you know, you duff a few shots, and, hey, I'll go back to the 7 iron, I was hitting that cleanly, <laughs> I'll just do 50 <laughs> balls of that. I'm sure it's easy to Yep, uh... absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know, I don't know, how... I've got two questions here, they're basically the same thing, what, you, you choose which one you'd like to answer. One is, uh, if you could go back and meet 20-year-old Rex, what would you tell him? Uh, you know, or, and the the second question is, if not that, do you have any words that you like to live by, um, a sort of a credo? So I'll, I'll let you choose which one you prefer to answer there. Sure, um, both very profound questions. Uh, that those are good questions. I should say this. So I'm going to copy you on my next podcast. <laughs> sure, yeah, be my guest. If absolutely. I went, if- if I went a time machine and talked to myself at 20 years old, I'd just tell myself not to lose faith and to hang on. Sure. Uh, you know, life goes up and it goes down and it goes up and it goes down and it turns corners. Just kind of hang on. Like it's an amusement park ride. That's crazy. And you have no idea where it's going and don't get too glued to any one idea. You know what I mean? Because you don't know what's going to happen and just be ready to roll with the punches. Um, and then the, the life's credo. That's a good question. Um, that's a tough one I've, I don't I've know I, with that. <laughs> I mean it's, it's hard to say in single words I would say 
everything has to go through a, a certain filter. And I, I believe that filter has to be the filter of treating people better than you want to be treated. I think that's the golden rule in life. If you do that, you'll be blessed in multiple ways for multiple angles you never heard of before. Uh, you'll get all kinds of gifts that you wanted. Some of them you didn't want, but I think that that's a huge thing. Uh, it's it's ancient knowledge. It's, it's been taught before, but I think that that's something that uh, um, if I if I could only say one thing to like my son or or like some you know somebody that I, as I was passing away someday theoretically, if I could tell them one thing. That's what I'd tell them is like treat people better than you want to be treated, and just hang on to that and hang on to love. Fantastic, man. That's it's uh, a great way to live. I think, um, yeah, I completely agree with you there. So to wrap up, uh, what's the best way for people to find you, man? How can they get on your courses, and where can they see your content? Sure, www.rexdefense.com is the website for the training. There's a, a training by date tab there, and then of course the YouTube channel is where I put most of my stuff. It's T Borosaurus Rex channel. You're not going to be able to spell it. Just look for Rex Reviews yep. on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and it will it'll take you to my T Borosaurus Rex channel. There's a million videos titled Rex Reviews. Brilliant. Yeah, and I can't recommend that highly enough, actually, to everybody listening. There is so much content there. Uh, there's the Sniper 101, uh, which alone will take you tens and hundreds of hours <laughs> to get through. Um, I forget how it's almost, I think it's 80 or 90 hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lo long Actually, series. Actually, we have packed. secret plans that you can't tell anybody about this. It's top secret plans. Okay. But uh, we're, I'm thinking on redoing that series okay. to make it a hundred percent timeless so that it's because I had like the long hair back then. Right. And that's not in vogue anymore. Right. So <laughs> it's coming that back up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll keep that secret under our hats um rex this has been fantastic man thank you so much for taking the time out um i think everyone's going to learn a huge amount just from this hour um and i i highly recommend everyone check out the channel and and get tuned in because you've got a, a lot of really really cool stuff to teach so thank you again man thank you very much well, thank you very much no it's always fun to visit with you guys and you guys keep warm over there this winter, and maybe I'll run into you next time I, I, I cross over. You've been listening to the Tier 1 Podcast. Brought to you by Tier 1, makers of the world's finest rifle accessories. Find out more at tier-1-usa.com. And tune in for more great insights on the next episode.